Hello and welcome to Bread and Rosaries, the leftist Christian podcast that is now officially 50 episodes old. I'm Ben Molyneux Heddington and I'm joined by Adam Spears. Adam, welcome to episode 50. How many episodes do you think we've released? Uh, it's definitely more than 50. <laughs> so, I, I, I made the mistake of listening back to like a couple of the early ones recently because I was like, oh, it's 50 episodes. Maybe I want to hear like, you know, how we've improved. And uh, like, I don't think we're like super good now or anything, but my God, have we improved? Oh, well, that's something at least. Yeah. Uh, I looked at So uh, we have released 55 episodes, 52 of which are uh, still available. Um, so in what way is this a 50th anniversary thing? I paid to come on a 50th anniversary. <laughs> what the hell is going on? 55, so it, is, it is episode 50, but we did renumber the episodes after we um, pulled a couple of episodes because they just were really not very good. Ben hated them, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. It's a strong I word. Fine. <laughs> um, and then there was two episodes that are like bonus little bits that we did that weren't really full episodes. So it's the 50th full available episode. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. I feel honoured to be here. <laughs> um, yeah. We, uh, I, oh, I was told to read this to introduce you. Uh, oh, so. here we go. It's starting already, <laughs> isn't it? I'm, uh, I'm, okay, go for it. Uh, we are joined today by the official royal correspondent of the podcast, the Reverend and Right Honourable Sir Chris Howson. Hey! How lo- oh. oh my god. Yeah, you've even got the old version. It's a queen. She died. Have some respect. No, that's king. They're saying king. Did they? They? Oh, I, know. Yeah. I think it's just your brain replaces it. I heard queen, but maybe I'm just so queen. used to hearing queen. Uh, I like as well Adam being very high tech. Just played the offer speaker into the <laughs> microphone. <laughs> we don't this have soundboards. Like feels very professional. This. <laughs> uh, do you know what, Adam? I-, I have news for you. Oh no! We have a soundboard now. If you told me, I could have put it on the soundboard. How? Wow. How do uh, we have a soundboard? Uh, magic, because uh, uh, they changed the. Um, uh, this is very boring, but the, the thing we used to record changed, and I have a soundboard. Uh, Great, it is. Yeah, that I is guess. quite. So boring, you could have put that on the soundboard, but instead you just played it through a speaker to the microphone. What do we have on the soundboard? We have uh, uh, the state of the week jingle and the what else is on my mind goats jingle. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also a bleep because I found that in our list of things <laughs> we used previously. <laughs> So if you get too potty mouth, I can bleep you. But are there like preloaded things as well, like a boing or uh, nothing, nothing, kind of nothing quite like bad radio oh, stuff, come unfortunately. On. Come on, amateur. No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are joined by Chris. We got welcome. By... Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thanks, thanks, Chris. It's <laughs> uh, a lovely intro. Uh, just Chris, this is, on. this is now making you <laughs> the most common guest on the podcast. So, so well, well done. Well. Most Co- common, in most one, common. common in one way, but, but, but. <laughs> yeah. I think you would take it as a compliment if you were described as common, Chris. I think you're Absolutely. a man of the people. But this is my third one, isn't it? Fourth, well, I think. I think it, it might be fourth. Yeah, yeah. You can't get enough of me. Uh, that, yeah. But did you delete two of those because the quality <laughs> was so poor? I mean, that's what. Yeah. No, we, we intend to. We intend to. <laughs> uh, I was told, Chris, we'd, we'd mainly brought you on to take the mick out of you, but you are allowed first to uh, join us to talk a little bit about uh, the year just gone. 
um, oh, because great. apparently you, you you do things like read books and stuff, and we we were going to ask you what your uh, what your recommendations for things that you have read in twenty twenty three to our listeners. Well, I mean, I, I try and read a bit broader than just theology. Um, mm. I'm not that sad, but but the <laughs> theological books that I really really enjoyed so far and last year rather. First of all, was um, uh, by Regine Michel Jean Jarles, who's like an American feminist academic activist, and she wrote a book called Martin Luther King and the Trumpet of Conscience Today. Trumpet of Conscience was a famous speech that he made six months before he was assassinated. His most kind of anti-war, anti-imperial, anti-poverty speech that you know highlighted what he was about and why they wanted to kill him. Really, but a really good book, and not only is it good in terms of what how it tackles Martin Luther King, including his um his the problems with Martin Luther King in yeah. the sense of you know uh, his relationship with women, how he listened to women in the movement. It deals with that kind of stuff, but it brings it bang up to date. And she's an encyclopedic knowledge of activists and who's involved with what with Black Lives Matter and that and the women involved in these movements that are often ignored. Brilliant book. Um, I'm holding up to the camera, but we're not doing this is on on air, is it? Anyway, but but Martin Luther King and the Trumpet of Conscious Day by Regine Michel Jean Jarles. I'm going to go back to it came out a, a year before, but I only read it last year. And that's The God who riots by Damon Garcia. And he's been a guest on your show, I think. And he's yeah, he can and talk the, to us about the book. Yeah. The book is amazing. Episode 19, if anyone wants Absol- to, oh, to that. Go for it. It's such an intriguing book and so good and so uh, humanly written. I really, really enjoyed that. It gave me lots of ideas. And I liked it. And this is the third book. And this is The Hero and the Whore, Reclaiming Healing and Liberation Through Stories of Sexual Exploitation in the Bible. And this is by Camille uh, Hernandez. And she She's just a really good writer trying to reclaim the Bible from all the rubbish that's in it, but looking at stories of violence against women and and reclaiming and and putting them in context and challenging oppressions of the day. Uh, Really, really, uh, I'm halfway through it. I haven't read it all yet, but everything I'm reading is really good. That's Camille Hernandez, The Hero and the Whore. And um, in films, I I love films. We have a film club and stuff like that. I'm going to controversially say Barbie was a great, great movie. I enjoyed it when I took my kids. It gave so many ideas of conversations. The idea that millions and millions and millions of young people, male and female, are seeing that film and thinking about some of those ideas, I think is a big hit. And I, I think it's a great movie. But the film of last year, that the one you should reach out and seek and get, is a film called Argentina 1985. The true story of the the people who tried to prosecute the military junta after it collapsed in 1985. It's a brilliant film. It's a fantastic film from Argentina, obviously, and uh, well worth seeking out. Argentina, 1985. What was your best film of last year, Mr. Bread and Roses? Ben, go on. <laughs> oh, that's that's a big question. Oh, what was my... F- uh, I feel like all of mine are like... Uh... Ones that I'm like, this is a really sad. Don't listen if you're, no, don't watch this if you're already feeling. Uh, is this sad. John Wick's four? Because I'm really sorry, but that, <laughs> that I thought was very disappointing. See, I've like, only seen John Wick four, but I did go with work to see it. So, you it, know. It's, the worst film I have ever seen. I, someone kept saying, oh, you really ought to watch the Wick films. They're really good. There's a, there's a lot of meaning behind them. There's no, lot, there's you know, not. They're big, dumb action films. That's oh, the- my <laughs> God. It was the worst thing I've ever seen. If, 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 if we're watching it on the plane, 
going to South America, so I, I, I could turn Wait, it off. Did it? Was there like but a I, bunch of stuff cut out then? If you watched it on a plane, is that the? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was that. <laughs> that was. But the, my God, that was the worst thing. I just switched it off after all. It mindless, mm-hmm. dreadful, awful. And all mm-hmm. those people have said to me, "Oh, it's a great movie." I I I can't wait to see them again because I, I'm going to say, "No, it isn't." It's a yes, it is. Sorry, movie. Chris, but yeah, you great for, if you're looking for person. mindless violence in a film, then I, yeah, great film. <laughs> and sometimes I am looking for mindless violence in the film. But go for it. What was your film? What's your film? Come on, Ben. I, I would go, uh, I, I have to recommend All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which uh, was a documentary about a woman whose name I have completely forgotten, uh, but she was or is a photographer who yeah was quite heavily involved in like the New York queer community, taking photos and stuff. And then in recent years, she took on the Sackler family, who are the people who profit off well, they're, they're a big pharmaceutical the company, yeah, 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 and, and company, particularly yeah. profiting off people who are addicted to opiates. Um, and she was an opiate addict. Um, as a recovering opiate addict and basically she realized that this family basically washed their reputation through sponsoring a lot of art galleries um yeah and so she yeah it's a documentary kind of that's both her kind of biographical history um some of her you know actual photos and and installations are, are kind of part of it as well but also the story of her her and some fellow activists taking on this big pharmaceutical kind of family network um love great biographies like that and what was the name yeah. again ben uh, all the beauty and the bloodshed um, and, and it's about who is it about? uh nan golden i think let me just let me just like check that i've said that right because i've completely made that up yeah i was right i feel good about that nan golden well, Gold, well done you got there in the end adam what about you favorite book favorite film last year what's inspired you i uh i'm not going to go quite so highbrow um i'm going to say my favorite film of 2023 was elemental oh um, that you... I, I think it's a lovely film it's a really oh. lovely film and i i went into it sort of thinking oh i don't know if i'm gonna like this it looks a bit weird but actually no it was really really lovely man you took your niece didn't you you took your little niece or someone i mean you know i don't to... think i did <laughs> um, <laughs> you just went in to a cinema I, no to... i the oh. thing is chris i own this about myself i like cgi films i like animated films i like kids films and i am not really a big one for movie violence um, no thank heavens for that yeah, horrible, horrible people who like that sort of thing. Uh, I, I, there's no judgment on the monster. I mean, the people who do like that kind of uh, do like that kind of film. But for me, I, generally speaking, I certainly things like horrors. I don't like to put that in my head, so I don't. No, to be fair, I'm with you on the horrors. I can't stand horrors, but a bit of bit of mindless violence. I, mean, I think I, t- I also have spoken about uh, the Mission Impossible films on this podcast previously, uh, and so I, I think I'm not going to defend the moral aspects of my film watching. <laughs> Congratulations are in order, Chris, I believe, despite oh. what Adam might uh, want Thank to you. say next. Thank you for being gracious about something. <laughs> yeah, That's well, nice. I've been a terrible person with my film, so I've got to be the nice one now. We're doing a bit of a good cop, bad cop swap over here, Adam and I. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you have been uh, announced as one of the recipients of the New Year's Honours. 
Yeah, what a thing! What a weird thing. As I grew, up, as I grew up, I didn't really know, but it did was something that you know, when the New Year's Honours lists are always listed, you kind of, oh, I know that person, or mm-hmm. oh, I like their music, or I like their films, or whatever, um, or, or that's a shit person, or you know, you had all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Plenty of those. I, I never, <laughs> ever, 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 ever thought that I would be on that list. I mean, isn't it is an amazing thing? I, I, I mean, we'll talk a lot about why I also went on BBC to criticise the system and why it's called the Empire Metal and all I did all that. But but fundamentally, um, I like some of the bits of saying, that's a good thing to do. We thank you for trying to organise that for happening. I mean, I do a similar thing with City of Sanctuary. We do an awards thing every year, thanking organisations and people who've gone out of their way to support refugees, you know, and, and, and it's actually quite a nice thing to recognise that that's a good thing, so I don't mind, you know, awards in in general. But of course, it being linked to royalty and linked to empire, the night the names are really, really upsetting. You get this phone call. I got a phone call. I was in Uruguay. Phone call from the cabinet office, um, saying, you know, this is going to happen, and uh, this is what happens next. And you get like a, a good. Well, I think we had about 40, 50 minutes. You know, good conversation. One of the things I said, well, look, look, I can't accept it unless you understand I am going to criticise it. I'm going to criticise the honour system and, and the title and everything. And, and they were really gracious and said, that's absolutely fine. It's freedom of speech. The only thing you're not allowed to do is you're not allowed to be imprisoned for more than three months. Oh, could be a problem for you. Well, it might, hopefully, if, if, if justice comes up for Paula Venels, maybe uh, they'll... Oh no, she's given up already. That's okay. Um, but the, uh, you, you know, it, uh, I was I was quite impressed that they were understood that people were going to criticise the name, and we'll go a lot more into that, I think, in detail because you know, empire is for me is associated with greed, taking, uh, nothing to do with service and generosity and love and all the rest of it. So empire is a problem term. Because the name of the award is the British Empire Medal, right? Yeah, yeah. So you, you, there's, there's. Um, I mean, I didn't, I'd never heard of it. I'd never I'll be honest with you, Chris, neither had I until I, I had heard of it. I mean, <laughs> but there is about 30 of these things. You know, the, the famous ones are the OBE and the MBE, and then people get become knights and stuff like that. But, but there are other ones of, you know, other orders and things like that. But they're all, all of them, whether it's the... Order of the British Empire or a member of the British Empire or whatever, they all have empire in it. And, and that is the problem. I mean, what, what, what is that got to? We don't call it the Empire Games, do we? Because that would just mm. be horrific. That would be like the Hunger Games, wouldn't it? The Empire Games will come and, <laughs> you know, we call it the Commonwealth Games. We've, talk, you know, we've moved on. And yet this hasn't moved on. Though, of course, the committee in the House of Parliament have recommended that BEM um, becomes a British excellent medal so you can get keep those letters but don't have to have the mm. empire bit and lots of other recommendations to take out empire which is problematic I and mean, so problematic that of course you know someone like uh, benjamin zephaniah couldn't accept a, a, the an order being member order of the british empire given his political stance and his poetry and all it was about ken loach you know equally not able to take it because the title is wrong um uh, so I, it's yeah, things have got to change with it. But but you know, thank you, Ben, for being nice, a little bit nice, because <laughs> it hasn't been an easy ride for me getting it. I tell you, I, and it, it wasn't really, it wasn't really easy for me to say no to it. I mean, it comes from the university, it comes from the people who have supported me 
you know, for the last 11 years allowed me to do some great things. Mm. And it, 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 it comes from them. So it, I, I felt not in a great position to, to say, oh, no, stuff that. I'm a, I'm a <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. my political values. I will put my fingers in the air. This, I mean, there may come a point in the future when, yeah, I, I look back on lists of people who who wait, said haven't accepted them. Actually, a lot of people accepted them, but later on in life gave them up or handed mm-hmm. them in. And uh, over things that matters of conscious, you know, the Vietnam War, famously for Beatles and people like that. And and you know, but for the time being, I you know, I got it. And it's there. It was. Uh, it was. It's quite funny. I, it's very. I live very lightly with it. It's not important to me. It seems to be very important to Adam for some reason. He's a fixated. <laughs> um, I don't know what, what, what twisted stuff is going on in his mind, but none of us but, do. None of us do. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, that's but a, that's that's definitely me just turning into Colin <laughs> behind the camera. Aren't I? I, can't, I just really want it. He's, uh, he's but, so but, jealous. <laughs> but I. But it was. I was so nice. I tell you two two lovely things. Um, one, you know, some of the people work with me on City of Sanctuary. Some of the refugees, you know, you would be amazed how their different understandings of these things are. So I I took it on behalf of them and the people I work with on City of Sanctuary. That's what was one that you get a citation, and it was something like services to higher education, and then helping the city city of Sunderland move towards the city of sanctuary and then it was for running the homes for ukraine thing when that started mm. and also for having an, uh, working on an inclusive chaplaincy open to all sexualities and all that and so the citation is pretty nice but telling the some of the people city of sanctuary who worked so hard for me on it we'd got this was really really wonderful and the second thing that was nice was telling my mum <laughs> telling my mum Oh my God! You Did she not have tell that. you get an ideas above your station? Is that not? Oh my mum! I mean, she, she cried. Yeah, she oh. cried. You know, I mean, it's just you know, bless her. You know, um, and you know, if I if I get down to to Buckingham Palace, do you have to go to this garden party thing? I'd love to have my mum there. So do you do you get to go? Do, do you get given this medal like by the by? You want to say the Queen, but by King Prince Charles? Do you get? Um... <laughs> Charles Windsor. <laughs> no, no, don't, I don't, I, I, they give it to you, I think, at some ceremony in your region by right. what they have. They have these things called Lord Lieutenants dotted around the country and they mm-hmm. are supposed to represent the royal family. So our local one in the north, northeast for Tyna Weir, she's, she's really, really good, supports all our interfaith work and as really being a big supporter of the refugee stuff. So she's pretty good. And I think she gets to put the, uh, to give me this thing, but it is an actual medal. You get an actual physical medal. I don't know. I re- I don't. You, I don't know. You, you do. That, that's because I would be wearing that, like <laughs> just around. <laughs> like, what is this podcast? <laughs> what has <laughs> happened? <laughs> anyway, no, I think you do get you do get a thing. I I I don't I don't I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about it. But I've but, seen it. <laughs> Yeah, Adam's done a lot more research into this hey, thing. Adam is obsessed with it. Right, he's obsessed with it. Bless him. Oh well, you know. So you get this thing, and then, um, and then you're supposed to go down. You, get, I think, you have three dates in the year. You can go down to a, a garden party where you get lots of cucumber sandwiches in the grounds of Buckingham Palace, and um, and that's it. And then you meet and you meet other people who got it so i i might bump into you're in the club now i might bump into michael evis and get ask for free tickets for glastonbury oh yeah that's, that's... uh that's that's what i'll <laughs> go for you know um or i might what's the guy tim 
and Knobstones. I can't remember his name. The guy from Weatherspoons. <laughs> oh, oh, he got one as well. Martin. Yeah, so he might be at one of those things. He got knighted, didn't he? Services for the night out. Like. Yeah, for the night out. Yeah. <laughs> for, the, for the sesh. Yeah. <laughs> he got a slightly higher award than me. Uh, and, of course, there's other clergy around. ABC got it, Justin Welby, uh, for services to the post office. And then he got... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Nikki. Nicky Gam- Nicky Gamble or Gumble? Gumble? Gamble? Gumble. 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 Uh, uh, yeah. He got one. So you're in a real select crowd there, Chris. <laughs> I tell you what, lots of really lovely people. I mean, on the BEM level, the BEMs, the people, you know, yeah. it's all people have done really good things for the NHS, for for universities, for um, for community groups. Lots of community people get it. Uh, and so I, I wouldn't mind. I might. I'm looking forward to actually meeting some of those folk and laughing about it. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's a nice thing. I mean, obviously I, you know, there's, there's just no way personally I, I could accept one, but I know one other person who, who's been awarded the British empire medal. Oh, no, there's loads. There's about 2000 of every year. It's not, a, it's not, it's not a small elite group. It's, no, it's elite, Chris. No. very elite. <laughs> <laughs> All the people in our university got it are really nice people. I, you know. I mean, I think, I think this is the thing is I am where I am on it, but the only other person I know who, who has one is just a wonderful person who's been doing this thing that she does in her, I went, say too much about it but a project in a community that really really important work for 30 years and if anyone deserves recognition then it would be her and I, obviously i think the same for you chris um i just i mean much like yourself just wish that that recognition looked a little different jesus weeps for gaza He sees the pain and suffering of the 1.9 million people who have been forced to leave their homes without access to nutritious food, clean water, decent shelter. He hears the cries of the 25,000 orphaned children. He is with all who mourn the 250 people killed every single day. Christians for Palestine UK is a group of Christians who are calling for an immediate ceasefire in Palestine. We don't pretend to have all the answers, but are united in our prayers, hope and action for equality, peace and justice for all the peoples of the Holy Land. Together, we are organising a Christian presence at the National Marches for Palestine and Local Days of Action, where we've been joined by siblings from Sabil Kairos, Pax Christi and a whole range of Christian churches. We urge you to join us to act in solidarity with the people of Palestine and call for a permanent ceasefire and just peace. The Very Reverend Canon Richard Sewell, Dean of St George's College in Jerusalem, says... I warmly welcome the newly formed group, Christians for Palestine UK. Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank need to see the solidarity of Christians in the UK and they will be encouraged to see your commitment to stand up for them in their time of terrible suffering. To find details of local actions or to join the Christian bloc at a national march, follow Christians for Palestine UK on Instagram and Facebook, 
or email christiansforpalestineuk at gmail.com. Join us as we call for a ceasefire now. The two issues with it is one is that its association with with power and monarchy and the empire, you know, that's a, a major thing. But the other thing is that personal recognition is deeply uncomfortable. I'm mean, someone like a socialist like me. I want it to be for a community. Mm. I don't run. I run. It's a good chaplaincy here up in Sunderland. I think it's one of the best in the countries. I'm really proud of it. But it's a team. It's a team of people, you know, that that make it happen. The, the city of sanctuary stuff. Yeah, of course, I was chair of the of the group and I did a lot of work to instigate it happening in the council. But there's key councillors, key people in the community, key sanctuary seekers who made that happen. And uh, and I think, that, that, you know, that personal stuff is a bit – because you think, oh, this should have gone to Steve or this should have gone to Mary or I know what uh, what Alexandra did for it. You know, so there's, it, it, it's a – they're the what a horrible it. thing to wish on someone, Chris. I can't believe you. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm putting you forward for next. Yeah, we get we get to fast off. track. We get to fast track the next. Week. Uh, do you know what I seriously thought at first? I thought someone is winding me up. I thought this is after after all I've done on April first. I thought you year. were. I thought you were when you put it on Facebook. Well, a lot of people, a lot in Europe, because it happened when I was in Uruguay. And what mm. what a thing to happen! It happened on their April Fool's Day, the twenty eighth, twenty eighth of December. They have you know the, the you know it's a horrible thing. They have it when they you know the innocence. When they when they think about the kids dying under Herod, they have the day. Oh, holy innocence! But this when we'll do all April Fool's jokes. Mm. Horrible thing. But that is theirs. So in Uruguay, all the people who know me were like, "I can't believe people are falling for this! I can't <laughs> believe people are falling for this!" And they were in Uruguay. They were completely like, "This is." This is not real. They also didn't believe that I I'd trod on a lemon and the juice all ran up my leg and I then banged my head on a branch. But that also really happened <laughs> on the same day, uh, much to my humiliation. Rancid lemon. Two. I got lemoned on the day it got announced. <laughs> yeah, that is dear. God's judgment. That is. That is. <laughs> you, know, you think you're high and mighty, Chris? Here's a, here's a rancid lemon right up you. <laughs> I um, I personally won't be accepting the uh, award for services to podcasting that we. I'm going to give you an award. Come on, uh, but unless it came with some sort of cash, and then I'd probably have to reconsider my yeah, principles. That, fair point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you probably yeah. could sell the medal. To be fair, take it to cash converters. See what you get for it. Like, I don't. I don't think you can, though. I don't think you can. What legally? You mean like you're not allowed? I yeah, to... I could. I could be wrong, but I don't think you can legally do that. So we are going to tackle a little bit today a fellow awardee of the New Year's Honours, uh, Justin Welby's, um, oh, yes. was it a yeah. New Year message I think he gave? I don't think it was New Year. I think it came, I just wasn't New Year. I got the date down as 1903, uh, the official thing from the Boer War, I, or something like that. No, <laughs> it, felt, it felt like it was a period piece anyway. Um, 
So we will, uh, yeah, we'll chat about that and a bit about the uh, sermon for Muntha Isaac in Palestine that's been going viral, and kind of chat about the uh, differences between those two particular sermons. Uh, but before we get on to that, I do think we're going to start 2024 as we mean to go on with a bit of mind grapes. What else is on my mind grapes? Did you enjoy the soundboard? I could see I, how happy I that made Adam. Believe, <laughs> I cannot believe. <laughs> That that worked. <laughs> Usually we just drop in the clip. I don't afterwards. have to edit it in. That's amazing. <laughs> Do you mind if I hear it again? It was just it was a yeah, big yeah. moment for me. Yeah, you ready? You ready? Yeah. What else is on my mind? <laughs> I feel like I'm on Radio Two or something. Mid afternoon. Adam, I believe you have something on your mind, Grapes. I do. So I have been thinking a lot about the whole post office horizon scandal. And I kind of realised that there's a bit of a link here, Chris, because you were saying that with your um, sort of royal trinket that you have now, that uh, at some point, maybe in the future, you might you might return it. Well, now is your opportunity because a woman called Sarah Griffith has returned her medal to 10 Downing Street in solidarity with the sub-postmasters affected by the post office Horizon scandal. Is this Paula Venels? She handed it back in solidarity. No, no, no. <laughs> she <laughs> has, of course, handed hers back yep. under pressure. But no, this person, Sarah Griffith, who got hers for services to charity, I think. I, I don't know this woman. I don't know anything about her. She might be a monster. She might be wonderful. I don't know. But she has done this in solidarity with the sub postmasters. And I was thinking, Chris, now is your opportunity. You know, as soon as you've got it, giving it back straight away. What a statement that would be. I think when I look back at the people who have given them back, you know, Vietnam War, and just, I think there are, there, are, there are moments. And I think they've got to really make sense to you. I think this must have made sense to that woman. It must have been a connection. She might have been one of those communities where the post office were were absolutely destroyed, you know, and that she knows the impact this has had on people's lives. I think it's got to be personal. It's got to make, make sense to you. I mean, I, one of the things I have thought is if they start taking people back to Rwanda, how can you take a medal mm. that's connected to your work with City of Sanctuary? I mean, you know, there, there, are, there are moments, but I think, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I, I say, I can, I don't want to get too much in, into my own personal story, but it's very interesting that she's made this. I reckon there'll be a connection. So I don't disagree with what you're saying, Chris, but hear me out. Because... <laughs> get ready. Okay. Because... Yeah. Right. Here we okay. go. Here we go. Because as we've learned recently, Paula Venels was shortlisted by Justin Welby himself Mm -hmm. to become the Bishop of London. To one of three. One of three people shortlisted to run the third biggest post in the Church of England, mm -hmm. even though I think she'd only done a curacy. I mean, uh, had never been in charge of a parish, never done a major role. But I think we're missing the main point here, which is that it was almost a situation where someone terrible became a Church of England bishop, but thankfully we've avoided that ever <laughs> happening. So... <laughs> Wow, we, that's what we're we, laughing we, at. We, <laughs> but there's a problem in the system. There's a problem in the system yes. is that people are being appointed in ways. I mean, I, I have heard, I have heard that someone was fast tracked to become a dean and then a bishop and then an archbishop of Canterbury just because of connections with the oil industry. I've yeah. had I've heard that <laughs> that kind of rumor. Um, Paul Justin Welby's a nice guy. I, he helped get me into this job here you know he did some he's a great guy I, I like him he's my kids like him spent some time with him but there's a problem with the system that it rewards someone who is 
business minded and thinks that that is how churches ought to be run. And Justin has moved the whole Church of England in a direction of this kind of people with business skills and what they think are leadership qualities who are getting into higher and higher positions within the Church of England. And maybe it's always been terrible, but it does feel like it's moving towards that business model, which is not what the church is. We are supposed to be a countercultural movement focused on Christ, who is a countercultural figure himself, not a mirror of the capitalist regimes that are around us. And so I think this this is really highlighted more than anything else how close we got to using that system wrongly and appointing people yeah. who've made ter- who make terrible decisions that affect people's lives. How many people have committed suicide because of the decisions that that mm. person made, you know? I mean, yeah. she nearly became the bishop of London. It's extraordinary. It's, the thing is it's not just the decisions that she's made, it's the decisions that she's made knowingly. Right, like she knew what was going on, and she made decisions. Or she was incompetent. To, she might, to, if she didn't to, know, then she was pretty incompetent to be in charge. I mean, of a big organisation like that. We, you we, could we say did. that, but I think, I think, I th- like honestly, looking at the evidence, I'd be very surprised. I mean, this was known about, and I think it was known about by her, but I, you know, I can't say that for sure, obviously. But, but I think, I think this sort of brings me to my broader point here. Um, to kind of quickly say that is that there has been some streamlining some ultimately sort of minor changes to the way bishops are appointed as you sort of hinted at earlier with Paula Venels and a big part of this comes from the fact that people of color weren't being appointed to the higher roles in the church of england and obviously it's really important that that's dealt with but one of the ways they've tried to deal with this is by kind of streamlining that process making it easier for the archbishop of canterbury um possibly the archbishop of york as well i don't know to put forward people who have very little experience into those roles and that's how you end up with someone like paula venels because ultimately what happens is um yeah okay maybe a few more people of color get through but a lot more people who are essentially allied with Welby, his sort of managerialism, and also some of this conservative evangelical stuff. People who are allied with that are getting through and making it higher up a lot quicker than they otherwise would. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really important part of this, that we shouldn't forget the structural issues that are happening and, and that are new, actually. And of course, in some ways, if you're worried about people getting fast-tracked into bishop roles, it's only going to get worse because they can keep pushing the various safeguarding reviews and investigations down the line, but eventually a lot of bishops are going to be retiring early or or getting pushed out because of failures in safeguarding. Not that they themselves committed any crimes or offences, but that they failed to deal with things that were brought to them in any way near appropriate ways. And, you know, really, there is going to be a whole swathe of bishops over the next few years who are either quietly or loudly going to uh, go their way, either in advance of some conclusions being published or afterwards. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see exactly who gets uh, the big jobs um, when there's a lot of them going around. Yeah, yeah. I saw a letter recently from a bishop to their diocese about the reaction to the the services for blessing uh, same-sex marriages and it was a horrendous letter basically saying you know i disagreed with it 
I, if you want to do it, you have to ask me for permission. It, it was one of those kind of almost threatening letters. And I'm thinking, mm. how have you got so much power? There's a real, it's not just about who gets her. It's the role of bishops. Mm. You know, the, the bishops are meant to support us, meant to pastor to us about help us do our jobs properly, not bully us. And, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, I think the, the way the bishop stuff works is that people can can become bullies. I'm not saying I know some lovely bishops. I've had some lovely bishops contact me, and, you know, after this, this award thing, really nice stuff. You know, there's some great, good bishops out there, but there are some bullies. And you don't have to dig very deep to, to meet clergy damaged by bullying bishops. And mm. how can that be? How can that be the, how the Church of England is organized yeah and i think this is you know the 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 way i wanted to sort of link this in with what we're going to talk about is that all of this is kind of the way as muntha isaac calls it and as liberation theologians call it the uh, theology of empire responds to these kinds of issues is by consolidating power and getting individual people who are high up to to make those calls rather than democratizing which is what we really need to see within the church and i think we also the justin welby say well i want to defend him on some grounds as a nice person who done, i know mm-hmm. has done some very good things and helped a lot of yeah. people but at the same time when that new year's message came out uh, and it, the, all the militarism that it was there yeah being i think it was even filmed at bryce norton i was, certainly it was, was yeah. so yeah, i think we're in a time where kids and families having bombs dropped mm. on them mm. you know militarism is never the where theology ought to go and i found it just the wrong the certainly the wrong tone given all that's going on in the world I, I, it was very sad to see does one of you want to briefly explain the what, what justin welby's new year message actually was sure basically so it's it's about a five minute talk that he gives each year um that you can find on iplayer I should it should still be there really strange though something something really strange to me about the fact it was on the bbc iplayer not on like youtube or something like i don't know it what is it on is. youtube i watch i watched it on youtube but just the fact that it was it was on iplayer like I, obviously that's all about state power or whatever but something very odd about the bbc publishing i mean the bbc still have to do a certain amount of religious broadcasting so it's probably just going into their quota i guess but it's worth watching because because it's not just the words the words you could take one level but it's the imagery of lots of Mm. soldiers marching and and then the whole emphasis is on service that's what here they're here for service and there's this thing about they were the ones that rescued the people from kabul um, yeah. you know that, that that service and it was fascinating because when that happened i just thought what happened in afghanistan we right, messed yeah. afghanistan up we were part of an invading force that wrecked it tore it to pieces caused chaos there for 20 years caused the death of so many people and then in mm-hmm. the time that we had it we didn't you know bring in brilliant education and healthcare, which overturned the whole thing no we built into a military fortress and there was chaos and people being killed and kidnapped terrible 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 none of that is that is part of our story that's why we had to suddenly had to bring people out and what where are those people now the Af- afghans who who were brought yeah. back are in some terrible conditions up and down the country they've they've really struggled to work out what to do and loads of people they promised that would have the chance to rejoin because they only got a few people out I don't know, 12, 13,000 people. Those are people, family members, people who were interpreters for the armed forces and that have been marooned in Afghanistan or Pakistan. And it's a mess. 
And I just thought, oh, I just, the emphasis that our, service, our troops are there to give service ignored that 20-year history, that empire history mm. of what, what our real relationship with Afghanistan really is. The, the thing that really I found really incredible about it, because obviously there's all this militarism, praising the armed forces, and, and also this sort of thing of like... Um, how terrible war is and and you know everyone should be seeking to to make peace and whatever and oh no that we agree with that we agree with that adam mm-hmm. yeah peace is better than war but it's that juxtaposition of like because he the way the reason he's saying that is he believes that that's what the armed forces are bringing right like yeah. ultimately yeah, yeah. that's what he's saying um and i f- find that particularly incredible but the thing that absolutely i was just it just melted my brain i think um, was when he quoted Matthew twenty twenty eight, talking about, and he compared the service that Jesus was talking about with the service that these armed forces personnel were offering. Of course, the early Christians weren't allowed to be part of arms first. They shall not kill, they shall not murder, was blessed of the peacemakers. It was only until Constantine needs an army and Europe is turning Christian and he needs to turn that around. It's only then that Christians are allowed to be soldiers. But I think as well, there's something about, um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Jesus w- was killed by an occupying army. Oh, yeah. It was soldiers that nailed him to the cross. Did say forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's what Justin should have said. Oh, look at these these soldiers. They don't know what the hell they're doing. Forgive them. And maybe they'll do better next time. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, but yeah, there was something about the very... Uh, unthinkingness of it all to me. Part of it feels like it's been thought up by a PR consultant, right? People love the army. Do some patriotic stuff. But it could have been better. It could have been better. You know, our, I, I've done weddings. I've done funerals for people in the armed service. These are good people. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in a, in a, you know, they recruit in some of the poorest parts of the country and, you know, and get these folks to, to do terrible things. But a lot of them are still, despite all that, good Good people, you know, come back with injuries and all the rest of it. They mm. could, they could, you can do it in a different way. You're right. It was, it, it could have been a bit of a PR thing, really, right? But it could have been more human. It could have been more Christian. It could have been more real. Could have been more honest. It could also have actually looked at the context of the passage that it was talking about, because Justin Welby, when he said this, was was talking about Matthew twenty verse twenty eight, and what he's done is he's taken that verse plucked it out cherry picked it if you like as people like to say and completely ignored the context around it right and if he went back just a couple of verses to verse 25 he says this it says jesus called them together and said you know that the rulers of the gentiles lord it over them and that their high officials exercise authority over them not so with you instead whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Not a nice translation, but we can talk about that another time. Uh, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right? There's a lot going on in that. But what's not going on in that is the form of service that the Archbishop is talking about here. It's a very different thing. Though I think there is a, there is a, in, within those circles this idea that that service people do lay down their lives for others. That's a very First World War kind of imagery. For yeah, them. I mean the Church of England's in a mess, isn't it? And Justin Welby is at the top of what is in a mess. And I don't I don't know who's advising him. I don't know how they think it's going to turn around. I, I've got some suggestions of what they should do, but but obviously the people he's listening to 
or listening to him are, are, are pushing it in a different direction. It's not going to save the Church of England. I mean, I think this is why I wanted to do a small comparison between Justin Welby's message and Munther Isaac's message. Oh, good. This is this is that was a real Christmas message. I, when I when I when I heard that, I instantly sent it out and shared it wherever I could. It's mm. amazing. Have you got an extract of it on your mind grapes thing? On your soundboard, uh, I don't have it on the soundboard. Um, I am, however, going to to make us. Wait. I'm going to do that's like your little um, teaser for people listening. That soon we're going to talk about Martha Isaac's uh, wonderful sermon. But before we do that, we're gonna we're gonna take a little detour into our saint of the week. Saint of the week. Oh, you had to, you. That's your soundboard. That's oh, of policy. course, I've got Lou on my soundboard. They might not be here in person, but they're always here. In fact, what we should do is get um like a little bit of of each of the four hosts on the soundboard, so we can like trigger <laughs> whoever it is on the soundboard, so they always feel like they're here. So the set of the week I thought to you this week is Peter Blackman. Have either of you heard of Peter Blackman? No, nope. I don't think so. Ah, uh, he is uh, from Barbados. He was born in 1909 there, and uh, he lived with his family on the grounds of an Anglican church over there. And he was uh, attended that church, and they kind of supported his education. So he ended up getting sent to college uh, under their kind of funding, and then eventually uh, they supported him to attend Durham University. So he studied theology. He came from a very, you know, kind of poor working class Barbados background, and he, yeah, became a priest, an Anglican priest. And uh, this is part of their kind of push to get more. Uh, what they refer to as native priests, uh, and he was sent as a missionary to Gambia. And while he was over there, he quickly realised or, or found out that black missionary priests were paid less than white missionary priests to do the same job. And he was, understandably and correctly, extremely annoyed about this, to the extent that he fought it until he felt that he couldn't fight anymore and ended up uh, resigning, yeah, leaving the priesthood. And uh, he went back to Barbados for a bit, but um, he eventually returned to to Britain, where he lived, obviously, while he was at university. Uh, And he worked on the uh, factories making aircraft parts in World War II before he eventually worked on the railways and was quite instrumental in the National Union of Railwaymen. He uh, was a Communist Party activist and obviously did a lot of stuff around racial equality stuff within that. He was mates with Paul Rodson, who um, did some tours and stuff in the UK and met some of the activists and civil rights leaders, of which Blackman was one of them. But he was also a poet. He was never kind of a professional poet, but some of his stuff got published after his life and it was very well-received and it's kind of part of this kind of slightly forgotten tradition of British black socialist poetry. I actually couldn't find any information about where he ended up religiously. Uh, I can't see anywhere that it's kind of said that he renounces any sort of faith once he leaves the priesthood, but also he's not like this huge major figure, so there's not loads and loads written about him. And people are often... um, yeah, when we research this Saint of the Week stuff, I often find that people are just not always that interested in asking questions about uh, someone's religious beliefs and affiliations and whatever. So I, I don't know by the time of his death whether he was still considering himself a Christian. Uh, I can't see any reason to indicate that he had kind of rejected that entirely. But yeah, it's not really not really written about. But uh, he certainly was for a number of years because obviously he was a an Anglican priest, and uh, at least most of them are Christians. I want to know if he knew. Charles Duncan O'Neill, Sunderland's first ever black doctor. 
he was famous for treating miners and um, working people for free. He was a friend of Keir Hardy Mm. and then left Sunderland to go back to Barbados where he founded the Democratic League and became a member of parliament. He's one of the 10 big heroes of Barbados socialists. Barbados has got some incredible, incredible socialist Christian figures. So I'd, I'd like to think they met. Yeah, distinctly. But as I say, there's, there's not loads of information because, um, yeah, it's not well-researched. Well, if he was in Durham at some point, I don't know when he was in Durham, but, you know, Sunderland's not far away mm. and there can't have been many black activist, yeah. communist, socialists around mm. from Barbados. So yeah, yes. it just depends on when they were around, you know. Another thing I was going to mention about him is interesting is that for a number of years he worked on the BBC broadcasts to the West Indies. As, oh. as a writer, um, but in 1950s he was he was blacklisted due to his political beliefs. So despite the fact oh. he worked through the war, kind of doing stuff for them, and also you know building airplanes because of his political affiliations, he was he was blacklisted by the BBC and uh, no longer allowed to do anything like that. There should be a film about the saint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good story. It a is good, a very good, good story. story. Wow. Um, I was just going to read because because as I say, it's, it's not always. Um, well-remembered in this kind of forgotten tradition. So I thought I'd just finish by reading a little bit of his poem, My Song is for All Men. It's quite a long poem, so, um, you know, I'm not going to read all of it. Apparently, uh, his collection of poetry called Footprints is very good and worth worth reading. But here is a little bit, and I apologise because I'm not a natural poetry reader, but here's a little excerpt of uh, Paul Blackman's My Song is for All Men. My song is for all men, Jew, Greek, Russian, communist, pagan, Christian, Hindu, Muslim, Pole, Parsi. And since my song is for all men, more than most I must state a case for the black man. I have wandered with the men of Devon over the Devon hills, conned thought with Milton where low voices drift, through time buoying music over death and forgetfulness. I have wandered beyond to distant Caucasia, skirting my wonder of blood wind in the beauty of green mountains hemmed by blue waters on Georgia's coast. I have listened to debate in London and Moscow, Prague, Paris, and many other town. I have heard statement confused or insistent, patient or fretted, facing a claim, and ever the claim was the same. This is my own, the voice repeated. My hands have built it. It is my very own. Show us your fruiting. Let me then bring mine own. This is mine own. I staked a claim for the black man. Great. I think you're very good at reading poetry, by the way. I thought it was on your soundboard that you recorded that earlier. Yes. That was absolutely live. That was amazing. Oh, it's yes. a pity, like all that language, you know, this poem for all men, you know, it's, it's it rooted in mm. its time. But, but to get his voice back here, you know, a mm. hundred years later, thank you for that. And there was, there was a whole actually section about um, kind of black women and stuff within that poem as well. So you're, you're absolutely right, of course, to point out the kind of gendered language that is, yeah, feels quite dated. But even, even within those kind of gender relations stuff, he is kind of pushing ahead of, of some of that stuff and, um, yeah, having some interesting stuff to say. So, yeah, something really fascinating that, uh, yeah, I think is not particularly well known and, and could do with, with further recovery. So hopefully Chris is going to make a wonderful biopic about him. <laughs> I'm going to certainly check to see if you have any links with uh, our local Black mm. Hero. And we might cut the bit where you talked about that that local Black Hero so that we can use that one as a Saint of the Week as well. <laughs> 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 so, before I interrupted you all with a bit of Saint of the Week, we were talking about Mantha Isaac's sermon. So, 
Adam, do you want to just give us the, the very brief overview? Who is Monther Isaac and why should we care about his sermon? What did he have to say? Yeah, so Monther Isaac is the pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Christmas Church in Bethlehem. And obviously being a Palestinian Christian and a prominent voice within that community, he has had a lot to say. Um, and he hit the headlines in December because he and his church made a nativity scene where they wrapped the baby Jesus in a kefir, which is like a Palestinian, a traditional Palestinian scarf, and put Jesus in the rubble. And the point was that if Jesus were born today, he would be born in the rubble and they'd have to dig him out of the rubble. And he went on to give an excellent Christmas Day sermon, um, which you can find on YouTube. I definitely recommend that. We'll link it in the show notes as well. And he covers a few things. I think it's about 17 minutes long, but he talks about, and we've already mentioned the theology of empire, but he, he starts by talking about the sheer numbers of people killed, the destruction of Gaza. He says, Gaza as we know it no longer exists. And then he critiques world leaders and he critiques church leaders uh, who give those world leaders, as he calls it, theological cover. We are tormented by the silence of the world. Leaders of the so-called free lined up one after the other to give the green light for this genocide against a captive population. They gave the cover. Not only did they make sure to pay the bill in advance, they veiled the truth and context, providing the political cover. And yet another layer has been added, the theological cover, with the Western church stepping into the spotlight. Our dear friends in South Africa taught us the concept of the state theology, defined as theology, the theological justification of the status quo with its racism, capitalism, and totalitarianism. It does so by misusing theological concepts and biblical texts for its own political purposes. Here in Palestine, the Bible is weaponized against us. Our very own sacred text. In our terminology in Palestine, we speak of the empire. Here we confront the theology of empire, a disguise for superiority, supremacy, chosenness, and entitlement. It is sometimes given a nice cover using words like mission and evangelism, fulfillment of prophecy, and spreading freedom and liberty. The theology of the empire becomes a powerful tool to mask oppression under the clock of divine sanction. It speaks of land without people. It divides people into us and them. It dehumanizes and demonizes the concept of land without people again even though they knew too well that the land had people and not just any people, a very special people. Theology of the empire calls for emptying Gaza, 
just like it called for the ethnic cleansing in 1948, a miracle or a divine miracle, as they called it. So he's really calling out both political leaders and the church and talks about the, the complicity of the church in that and questions the moral compass of the Christian witness of those in the West. He, he goes further than, than questioning the moral compass. He, he questions the humanity, which I thought was a really yes. powerful, you know, he, yeah. he says basically in not being able to express your solidarity with these suffering people, you are degrading your your humanity in yes. some sense. Which is a fundamental tenet of liberation theology, mm. right? I thought the bit that I thought was really relevant to, to what we've been talking about was when he talks about basically if you're someone who is mealy-mouthed now and maybe doesn't call for a ceasefire but you know mm-hmm. says, oh, it's sad or whatever, and then once the genocide has happened, you are someone who then tries to do charity or support or say, oh, it was terrible what happened over there, it was terrible, but you didn't actually do what needed to be done at the time. I think he actually says, you know, we we won't forgive you, which is quite shocking to hear from a a Christian pastor. Um, And, you know, but it's quite a powerful bit of rhetoric. And I think there's something really important about what he puts his finger on there is people find it easier to condemn historic crimes, to condemn Mm -hmm. historic atrocities, than one's happening in the here and now. And, you know, I, I can absolutely see Justin Welby in a few years' time talking about the terrible things that happened. Or, you know, not just Welby, but anyone who's not maybe doing the utmost right now, maybe saying, oh, it's really sad, but not calling for a ceasefire or actually describing properly what's going on there. This is the, the crux of it, though, that his message, why not call for a ceasefire? Why not say that in the, you know, between Russia and Ukraine and between... You know, Hamas and the IDF, there needs to be a ceasefire. That Christians fundamentally should be saying we cannot solve anything militarily. There's nothing in Christian theology that says that militarism ever works or is part of God's plan. You know, it always has to be peacemaking, always has to be you know, stopping the slaughter of people. And, 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 and in this sermon, he you know, it talks about Jesus surviving a massacre, you know, as a mm. child, you know, and that's the links between Jesus is the children of Gaza. But, you know, we need our leaders to be calling for a ceasefire and to be doing all they can for that, because I, I don't think there can be other, any other Christian response but to say weapons have to go down. It's not to ignore all the complexities of all, all that. And, uh, yeah, I would like to see justice meted against leaders of Hamas and leaders of IDF, who, in my mind, both committed war crimes. But we need to be calling for a ceasefire. I think this is the thing, and this is by no means to justify Hamas and Hamas's leadership and what they did on October 7th at all. But the sheer scale of it is just incomparable. And it's the fact that you've got an occupier and occupied. And as you say, you know, there's a lot of complexity to that with Hamas being in control in Gaza and the fact they haven't had elections for years and years. But it was created. It's created. It's a pr- been a prison yes. camp for 27 yes. years. You know, what do you think is going to happen mm. to a people so dehumanized? You know, it, it, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's ov- obvious. And what's happening with what's happening now is the creating conditions for ongoing hatred and ongoing conflict that will be for generations and generations to come. And that's the saddest thing about this. Well, I think there's a real question here when we talk about the whole genocide case that South Africa have brought against Israel that's being heard as we record today in the uh, International Court of Justice. You know, this is if 
Israel don't do exactly what they did in the Nakba and expel the population of Gaza and just annex the land. I don't think it's going to happen. It won't happen. But but there's equally no there's no sign at all from the government that there's any move towards giving Palestinians autonomy. You know, whether you whatever you think about a two state solution, there needs to be some way that Palestinians do not grow up in prison camps with no hope and no autonomy. There has yeah. to be a Palestinian state that's run by Palestinians. And and until Israel is able to deal with that issue, then there will just be continued violence and oppression and hatred. And but but but, the, but I think what you're talking about, Adam, is the scale of the what has been done there. The the, the amount of bombs being dropped, the amount of yeah, you know, the fact that they're quite happy for for 100, 200 civilians die to, die to get one Hamas person with a gun, you know, and they don't even know if they're getting them, and they don't even know the scale of that. And what what um, Munter says is also we we hear that we listen to their narrative, we we believe the Israeli government narrative before we believe any Palestinian yeah. that the the voice of Palestinians is automatically assumed to be one of uh, yes. to be ignored and to be and to, and it's to be suspicious of it. I thought when he said all those things that was incredibly incredibly powerful. People should listen to it all the way mm. through it's mm. just really i mean I, I think the critique of the churches hits us the silence of the west is the silence mm. of the churches that he talks how the bible has been weaponized against the christians in, in palestine yeah. i mean it's a very very powerful piece and though you might say well there's no forgiveness in it there's no one's you know, how can you not have that position where he is oh i mean he talk, yeah. talks brilliantly as well what is next for bethlehem what is next for Janine? What is next? The, these people want all the Palestinians to either go away or just be part of their service industry. Mm. But I think there has to be some real questions about what Hamas imagined would happen when they did this. They they must mm. have known. They must have been willing for people to be sacrificed. And I think, though you can understand you know, the historical context of that, I, I think Hamas leadership needs to be held account by the Palestinian people. And uh, and by human rights courts, as well as the atrocities committed by the IDF, and and because our position as Christians is always good, the whole idea of using violence to change situations is a false narrative, and Jesus is prepared to go for the, on the cross for that, and that has got to be our position. It's difficult, but I I can't cope with people who put defence of Hamas and just put well the historical context means they have to do that. No, our position has got to be against violence against violence, against violence, wherever it comes from. I agree with that. But I also think that it's important to recognise where violence comes from, what kinds of violence exist, who is wielding violence in what ways. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. But there's a, there's this way you get into difficulties about pacifism and Christian pacifism. This is where it gets complicated. Mm-hmm. Look, Russia have done terrible things terrible things in in ukraine and you know and they 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 invaded it and they've got a false narrative and they've done all that mm-hmm. stuff and you couldn't say well okay then we have to keep fighting it we have to throw as much as we can against the russian state and defend the ukrainian sovereignty as a whole and keep get you know keep pushing and regain the land that russia has taken i can't accept that narrative because all it seems to me is that many, 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 many more lives will be lost. Russia ain't going to budge an inch. And 
you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian men and civilians around the area are going to die because we can't say, okay, this is a terrible thing that's happened, but a military solution is not going to do this. It has to be a different way. I, I think just a Christian response also always has to say there must be alternatives to militarism. And that's deeply uncomfortable because, you know, I've got dear friends now living in Sunderland who used to live in Mariupol, you know, mm-hmm. and their homes are gone and their lives are gone and their families are dead, you know, and they want to be back in Mariupol. But, you know, more and more dead Ukrainians, more and more dead young Russians is not going to bring any of that back. Oh, this is a grim episode. Oh, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I think I'd want to talk about as well about the element of race in all this. You know, Martha Isaac yeah. talks about you accept Israel's narrative before you listen to the voices of Palestinians. And there's lots of reasons for that. But it has to start with the acknowledgement that Israel is a society mostly composed of people of kind of white European heritage, not exclusively. But for a large, a large part, well, it's, a, it's I'm not exclusive. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a Semitic. I think the familyhood, the brotherhood and sisterhood of Palestinians and Israelis is really important to bring together as well. But that's yes, I know, I know what you're saying, and and he says it, Munter says it himself that there is racism in this. Yes, uh, but I, I think one thing I think I would draw our attention to as part of this is that I think it was Netanyahu himself, but certainly this is an idea that is very prevalent in the sort of upper echelons of the political power in in Israel. But I think it was Netanyahu himself who said that basically it's okay to have black Jews or Jews who aren't white, basically, in Israel and in the IDF, as long as they're being led by white people. And he's also, of course, very recently gone on record as saying that this is a war to save Western civilization. Mm. That white racist narrative is definitely there as well hi folks this is adam in the editing booth here just issuing a correction this was not in fact benjamin netanyahu it was the israeli president isaac herzog who in an interview with msnbc said the following this war is a war that is not only between israel and hamas it's a war that is intended really, truly, to save Western civilization, to save the values of Western civilization. We are attacked by a jihadist network, an empire of evil emanating from Tehran with its forks in Lebanon with Hezbollah, with Hamas in Gaza, with the Houthis in Yemen. This empire is in Iraq, and this empire wants to conquer the entire Middle East. And if it weren't for us, Europe will be next, and the United States follows. I remind all about 9-11 and, and thereafter. I think we've been taught to um, devalue the lives of Middle Eastern people. You know, the thing that always drives me mad is when people are uh, wasting their time debating the legacy of the Blair government. And, you know, someone will say, you know, the Iraq war was a, a horrible crime against humanity. And someone will say, yeah, but sure start. And, you know, that's not to say those things are bad, but if a million dead Iraqis is roughly equivalent to a few thousand poor British people getting a better education, like, that's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing at all, but actually the only way that makes any sense as a rebuttal 
is if you just assume that Middle Eastern lives are worth significantly less than British lives uh, and, you know, white lives, if we're honest. It, we spent so long working on the basis that the people who live in middle, the Middle East have lives of significantly less value that, of course, we would just kind of assume that you don't really need to listen to the, the Palestinians. But this is what we're talking about, you know, whenever we talk about white supremacy, right? Is that white supremacy is not primarily something that shows itself in a white hood and a burning cross. White supremacy is something that permeates and, and goes deeper and actually has massive structural impacts as well that we don't necessarily notice because it's not a white hood or a burning cross on the lawn. I think that is probably... At least, if not all we have time for, then certainly all the uh, depressing conversations that our poor listeners can cope with. Um, we are going to carry on talking about a lot of this stuff. So, um, happy New Year from Bread and Rosaries. Um, the reason we're <laughs> going to keep talking about it is because it's really important. Because it matters. All this stuff is matters. I, I want people to be optimistic in the sense that you know I do believe that good, most. I had this thought when I was in in, in Uruguay over the over the holidays. It's, I was around in the middle of nowhere, and everyone is calling for peace. Mm. Everyone mm. you meet is yeah. calling for peace, and I yeah. think that ninety nine percent of humanity just wants peace and bring up their kids and bring up people in a peaceful way. And it's how we react to this one percent mm-hmm. that that are in control of a lot of resources and have a lot of power, but we overwhelm them. We completely overwhelm them. People want peace. And my hope in 2024 is that we amplify all the voices for peace and we drown out the warmongers. Yeah. yeah. Chris, thank you very much for joining us. If people want to hear more from you, where where in the world can they uh, find you? Oh, every Sunday I do really good homilies at uh, Sutherland Minster. Always I, good. I can confirm, uh, having having been along not that long ago, that you should, if you are anywhere near Sunderland, you should get along on a Sunday to Sunderland Minster to uh, to see Chris uh, in action. It is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good, 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 good stuff. And we, of course, no homilies. We encourage people to think about scripture themselves. Most important thing. Very good stuff. Um, thank you very much for joining us. If you're listening, uh, please do get in touch with us and tell us what you think. Uh, we love to hear thoughts, suggestions, recommendations, all that stuff. Contact details are on our website, breadandrosaries.com, or in the description. Adam, where in the world can people find you? You can find me most places at commie, X-I-A-N. Wonderful. All the places you can find us are uh, on the website and in the description, because I can't remember them off the top of my head. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Adam. And we will see you all next time. See you later. Chris is waving. That's not how a podcast works. Oh, yeah, yeah. Goodbye. (laughs) Happy New Year. (laughs) Bye-bye.